TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates the class of 2024, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Mike's on, he's ready to go. On the fan, New York Sports Radio. Mike's on, Mike's on. All right, hour number two on this Sunday morning. We're coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studios. These are challenging times, to say the least, and Rocket Mortgage is prepared to help. And if you need mortgage assistance, contact their team 24-7 at rocketmortgage.com. From their home to yours, the team at Rocket Mortgage is with you. Scott Pioli joins us now, uh, NFL executive. Scott, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, Mike. Thanks. How are you today? All right. Crazy week in the NFL as yeah. they try to reopen and everything. But first, let's get to some of this uh, off-the-field stuff. You know, first, when a team hears or has an incident where all of a sudden the authorities are involved and there's an allegation of a serious crime, what is the first thing you guys do? Well, it's unfortunately, I've been involved with um, you know, smaller incidents and then the worst of the worst possible incidents. Right. Right. And, you know, so it's usually when you get the call, the first thing that you do is you get a hold of the player, or if it's not the player that reaches you, you get them in contact with, uh, you get in contact with the authority, you get in touch with your player engagement director, because usually that's the first call that the player makes. Before they call the coach, they call the player, you know, the player programs person. And then you have to start the gathering of the information while also coming up with some sort of statement to get out to the public. And the, the fact is everyone says, oh, that's, that's just the typical statement that they're gathering information. But that's what you have to do because a lot of times there's, there's allegations and you don't know what the truth is and what the truth isn't. Sometimes the players are being honest. Sometimes they're not being honest. You, you just don't know what you're getting. So you go into this information-gathering mode immediately with as many reliable people as possible. And you always have to be working hand-in-hand with the authorities to find out what they're saying. When you have a kid like Baker, who was a first-round pick just two years ago, uh, mm-hmm. are you going to run back, if you're the Giants, and say, what did we miss? Or are you going to say, it's just luck of the draw? I, I think it's human nature that you always go back and say, okay, what did we miss? Did we miss anything? And in the case of DeAndre Baker, I, you know, I don't think the Giants missed anything on this. And there's going to be people that are going to, that are going to be critical of the New York Giants because, I, you know, I was involved in that draft at the time. I was living in Atlanta, you know, 40 miles up the road is Athens, Georgia. This was a kid who did not have any criminal issues. He did not have criminal background. There were no um, legal issues in his background. I mean, there was some talk that came out that there were some minor accountability issues. And when I say accountability issues, everything that we have in our notes or that I have in the notes that I still have are, you know, he was late for meetings every once in a while. He was late to be in the weight room. He didn't always give 100% in practice. But those things are, you know, yeah. Mike, if I had a nickel for every player... No, that's, the that, that, that has like nothing that. to do with this, obviously. Exactly you know? right. This, right. This is an alleged 
um, criminal situation. There's nothing in this player's background. And, you know, and, and I know Kirby well, and I know that staff well. If there was something that was underlying, you know, some, this is one of the most important parts of scouting, too, is when you're doing research, having good relationships with college coaches and people within, or, you know, programs is really important because they may not give a blanket statement to all 32 teams, but if you have a good relationship, they may say, hey, listen, you know, the, the, the kid, we found him, you know, he, he tested positive three times, even though none of that was pu- public. Or And th- this was not the case with DeAndre Baker. He didn't have any of those issues. He didn't have a party issue. He didn't have, you know, criminal issues. So this one is a little bit surprising to me. Um, if it's true, and again, because right now we've only got allegations and one side of the story, and, and that's why I think the public needs to tap the brakes just a little bit. What we've got is one side of this situation, right? A police report is a police report. Right. You don't know. You got to always say, listen, when you're in my end of the business, you always have to remind yourself to say alleged because you just don't know. You just you don't know. You and and exactly. we've known right. that we've one known that of stories have blown up, right? We know that sometimes you, you wind up the story isn't true. So you, we, we've all had it happen. So you remind yourself to say alleged because you have to. Yeah, and you know, and I've been in these situations, Mike. Again. Unfortunately, where there's been players that you don't think um, there's nothing to lead you to believe that there would be a situation or an incident, but that's, you know, I think that happens. We all have friends in life, people in our lives, family and friends, you know, at different times where we turn around and say, wow, I never thought that person would have been capable of that. Right. And, and, and that's, you know, that's what human beings do, you know, is... is is um, unfortunately they surprise us in, in good ways and bad ways sometimes. Well, listen, you were there when they drafted Aaron Hernandez, and there was a guy that people said, oh, they should have known this, they should have known that. I'm sure a lot of the things that came out of Florida years later, you guys know nothing about. I mean, well, how, actually, would you, how, how would you know about yeah. it? Well, I, and actually, I wasn't there when Hernandez was oh, okay. drafted. Okay. I was down to Kansas City at that point okay. in time. And, and again, but Hernandez didn't have things in his background that people knew. Again, I wasn't there when, we, when the Patriots drafted him. But there were some things, but nothing that would have led you to believe that it could have become the monster that it became. Yeah, I mean, you're never gonna. I mean, how is somebody supposed to know that someone's gonna like with this Baker thing? There's been reports that he may have lost a lot of money to these people over the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks, and maybe he thought he was taken or something like that. He shouldn't have. Listen, he should have never, if he did this, He, I mean, it's the worst mistake he could ever make, but sounds like maybe he went down the wrong road with gambling and stuff and got himself in, in trouble. I mean, that's what's been, there's been, a, I don't know that that's a fact yet, but there's been a lot of reports about that, that he had lost a lot of money gambling in recent weeks. And if and if that is the case, you know, we've seen that happen a lot of a lot of times where good people end up in bad situations or, or even if they're not good, regular people end up in bad situations and they do things you don't expect. You know, Mike, you know, and I don't want to avoid this, you know, is the fact is I may not have been there for the Aaron Hernandez thing, but I was in oh, Kansas yes. City. And, you were in you know, the worst situation. I, I mean, you were in that horrendous situation with and, you and, and Romeo, and, right. And, 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 and it's not about me. The reality is that was a player that I signed as a rookie free agent, right. brought in. He was with the program for four years. And there was never any indication. I mean, even when he came out of the University of Maine, he was part of the domestic, um, the domestic abuse council on campus, looking out for for you know people that were victims of uh, domestic abuse. And then four years later, you know, again before he took his own life, what people forget was he 
he was a murderer. And so people will do things that you don't. And sometimes when you think you know people um, and what they're capable of, we, we, don't, we don't always know the truth, and we don't, we don't always know people's darkest places. Scott, why does it seem, and again, I haven't done the math on it, but it just seems to me always being here talking about these stories that in the NFL – there are so many more stories with guns than there are with any other sport for some reason. Is there a fascination? Have you found that there's a, a thread where there's a fascination now with young players and guns? I mean, well, is it, is it, why is there always guns involved? Mike, yeah, right, because of what we've seen happen this weekend. Mike, I think one of the, the weird realities that's come to me um, is – you know, in working in these years, over time, over the last 27, I'll call it 30 years, there has been an increase in the number of people that own firearms. I think part of what happens is, you know, I think a couple things happen with the NFL, is they have far more players on the roster than any other team sport. You look at basketball players and the numbers of their uh, the number on their rosters, Major League Baseball players. No, true. Absolutely players true. On their, so I think you have a wider or a, a larger sampling of people Without that question. are probable of, of getting caught with these guns. I just think, and, and people will say, oh, well, look at this guy, and they'll, they'll want to unfortunately make this a race issue or make it a background issue. But here's what I've learned in my 30 years in the NFL. It doesn't matter whether you are from um, a city or an urban environment, or a rural environment, because I'll tell you what, I think I know more players with more guns that are from much more rural areas than there are, and, you know, they talked about being hunters, and, right. and so it's, it, it's, there's this, again, Mike, I don't, I don't understand it. However, my father and brother are both hunters. They own multiple guns. I've never owned a gun in my life. I don't hunt. So, I think it's just, it's part of, you know, we have this right to bear arms and people have it. But I think in the NFL, it becomes more prevalent because there's just more players on the roster. There's more, and then more players you have, the more opportunities. And you look at, you know, hockey players, their rosters aren't as big. So I just think there's a larger sampling, Mike. Uh, let's get to the other big issue this week was the NFL and this whole minority uh, proposal, okay, that's mm-hmm. going to go to the owners, which I think is. Ridiculous. Okay, I think first of all, I think anytime you make anything, I, I think there's the competitive side of football that should remain competitive. That should deal only with competitive, which should be linked to play on the field. I think the draft status should be linked to play on the field. That's the way it should be done. The idea, folks, if you're not paid attention to it, is. They feel there is a slowdown of minority hirings, so they are going to elevate teams' draft status and give them better picks if they either hire or retain or have players taken from their team who already established uh, minority candidates as coaches. Now, here's what I think. You've lived in this, and we're talking with Scott Pioli, who's been the NFL Executive of the Year on multiple occasions, uh, is a top executive in the league. I think the league, I've been around the league 40 years. There was a huge issue with race in this league. Enormous. I think it's a thousand percent better. I don't know when I ever say anything's perfect. But 
I remember when you couldn't play safety and be black. You couldn't be a center and play and be black. You couldn't be, forget being a quarterback and be black. Now it doesn't matter what position a player is. I mean, that's completely gone. And I don't think there is that big an issue. I think the issue is this. This is just me talking. Now you tell me what you think. I think there's two problems with minority hiring in the NFL. I don't think it has anything to do with anybody being racist or biased because I think Owners, all they want to do is win. They're, they're, they're colorblind. They see the color green. That's all they see is money. They don't see anything else. And they see wins and losses. I think there's two problems. Number one, I think a lot of the candidates think the job is a thankless job when they're, when they're turning from a player into, a, uh, into real life. They think it's a thankless job on the way up. Too many hours, not enough pay, blah, blah, blah. And then number two, I think there's a logjam where from certain positions – it's very hard to get elevated. Most of your elevated uh, people come on the offensive side from the passing game. The passing game is, from a coaching standpoint, has a lot more white candidates or, my, or, or non-minority candidates than does the running backs or the wide receivers. And those guys, because they don't spend as much time around the passing game, don't get elevated as quickly as the guys do who are around the passing game. You see quarterback coaches get elevated very quickly. And I think the predominant side of them, most of them are white. Uh, so I think that's it. I, don't, I think really, though, the biggest issue, Scott, is I think the really good candidates – don't go coach because they think it's too much of a long line or they have to put in too many years for not enough money at the beginning when they could easily get into the job if they wanted to. So tell me why you think, if you do think there's an issue, and what you think is the best way to, to, to fix it. Yeah, well, first of all, I think it's an incredibly complicated uh, issue. And, and where I, I think I would disagree with Mike is I, I, there are biases in this league, and I think for us to to say that there's um, from the owners, owners you think and, is that what you think? Uh, I think there are in, in, with certain. I think here's part of where the problem comes in, Mike. Is everyone talks about the head coaching, um, the lack of minority head coaches, right. true problem, the lack of um, coordinators that are that are minority candidates. Those things are all true. Part of that problem emanates from the fact that it, it, it's a proximity issue, right, where, generally speaking, people hire people that they're more comfortable with, that they are in the same circles with, and the facts are the, are the facts. And the people that are in the positions to hire, they just, there's different, again, circles of people that hang out together and have comfort together. I, I think the other thing is this, Mike, one of the things, because I, I've been on the Bill Walsh Diversity Council with the League Office since it started years ago, and so I, I, I'm a part of all these conversations and, and the things that, that, that are talked about and that go on. And I think one of the other issues here that we refuse to recognize and acknowledge is when there are coaching hires, when there are coaching changes, we talk about the head coaching position, right, because that is the most... Um, it's the most obvious face of the franchise, so to speak. And what happens, though, is who does the hiring? It's not just the owners, but who is the person that's always in the ear of the owner? It's team presidents. And one of the biggest problems is 
when most people will hire people that are similar to them or look like them or are in the same social circles as them. And one of the biggest problems in the National Football League to me in terms of the hiring is the fact that we don't have enough minority candidates, however you want to define that, um, whether it's race, whether it's gender. There, are, there was one high-ranking black official in the National Football League, Kevin Warren, who's now, you know, he left the Minnesota Vikings. So the people that are sitting in the room that are making the decisions on hiring coaches, there's a problem there as well. There's not one black owner in the National Football League. Well, that's a di- that's going to that's a that different that, that that's going to take time. That that takes time. I mean that, that because here's why: turn, NFL franchises don't turn over. And listen, are you trying to tell me that if a, if someone who was a black individual who had billions of dollars wanted to buy a franchise, they wouldn't let them? They would let them in a second. You know they would. It's just uh, that not, you don't have that many. That, you don't have that many. You don't have that many people who could have. Well, because there aren't that many black men yet who can afford billions of dollars. NFL franchises now cost billions of dollars. That will yeah. come in time, just like there was never any owners in any sport, and now you do have black owners, and you'll have more. I thought, see. Here's why. I here's what I think the problem is. You're not getting the people in the pool. To get the number up, I think that's the issue, and the question is why. I don't think it's that the owners, and I think owners pick coaches probably, more, or at least put the stamp on on coaches more than anybody else. And I, what I would do first is I would expose them. I would do this, and I don't know if this has ever been done. Tell me if it's ever been done. I, I never thought about this till just now. I would look at a history of every franchise and say, has this franchise ever had a black head coach, a black offensive or defensive coordinator, or a black general manager? And let's see the ones that haven't, okay? And I would bet you most of them at one time or another have. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. I would say, I would say that the majority, ha- because ownerships have changed hands as well. Right. Like I'm looking you know, at the. You know, let me look back. at the Giants. The Giants have had a black general manager. The Giant. The Jets have had a black head coach. Um, uh, the the uh, the Pats have had a black general manager. Um, I'm 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 trying to go through every team. Right, I mean, but, but, I, maybe but I'll do that and the, look and see. And I and and you're looking problem, at ownership right? too. But my point is, I think it's about candidates. And if you get a like, if you get a guy like Mike Tomlin, you're not going to get him back on the market. He's going to stay there forever. I mean, that's just the way it is. You need more good candidates. And I think the thing is, when you get guys who were. If you get the Tom Landrys uh, or the Dan Reeves or the Mike Ditkas who are, want to go into coaching, I don't think the black player who is a top black player, a lot of them, they don't want to go into coaching. They could easily go into coaching. I don't think they want to go into coaching. But there, there's plenty of people that are coaching and head coaches that didn't play. And, and so we're, we're right. specifying here a small segment of the population where – and here's the thing, Mike. I've been in this and I've watched how this process goes – and part of the problem, uh, again, or another part of the problem is, in terms of having candidates, quote-unquote, is there's not enough people ascending within the league into coordinator roles, into um, a lot of the roles that become the stepping stones to getting to the, to the head coach position. And again, just the fact that we're sitting here having to think back, okay, this team, 
you know, this team had one head coach or had one black general manager or the Giants had one black general manager. That's part of the problem is we're sitting here having to think that hard to say, okay, they've had one person. Well, remember, we were starting with zero. We were starting with some of the people I grew up in my neighborhood. Oh, I've got a black friend. No, but you You see, but you're starting, Scott, but you're starting from an ear. You're starting from zero. You're starting from 30 years ago where it was unheard of. So you're not going to have it all at once. It's not going to happen overnight. But remember, Remember, we, we were in a league where it was a big deal to have a black quarterback. Now it's not even a thought anymore. It's not even a thought. Okay? A, a position on the field is not even a thought anymore. You know this. You know when you wouldn't have a black center or a black safety in the league. Those aren't even a thought anymore. I mean, those th- that doesn't even come into consideration anymore. So those days are gone. And I, right. think, I think most teams could care less what color a coach is. Now, you might tell me there's a guy in the league who's a bigot. I'm sure there is a bigot in the league or two. I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is, is why aren't there more black uh, uh, players or black people entering or getting opportunities to get into coaching at the lower levels because if you get in at the lower levels you're going to increase the numbers that's where it has to happen and then I would look at how coordinators now I think what happens with coordinators is you have a lot of position coaches if you go and mark them down I would say in the league a lot more of the position coaches are wide receiver coaches or are running back coaches than they are quarterback coaches, probably. I bet and you that's, that's probably true. And that's part of the historical problem. And, and Mike, you're saying, right, 30 years ago, one of the problems is when you start from below ground zero, and right. you say, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, for instance, or that, that that is it. Is it exponentially better now than it was 30 years ago? The oh, enormously, is, yeah. Is, the problem is the 70 previous years of the league and the country and the, and, and the culture that we, that we have. So it's just because it's better doesn't mean that it's good enough, right? It's like but, when you but, have, but, but here's when you the have thing. a 9-7 season as a coach. I'm, I'm just talking philosophically here. Well, well look at how much better 9-7 is when you took over a team that was 6-10. and 10. But the problem is... Nine and seven still isn't good enough either. So, again, I think now. But here's how I would look at it, Scott: is if you were looking, if you were looking at a situation, and I understand this is a very, very uh, long and very technical and very involved uh, conversation. But my point is this: I don't believe that there's a guy who is screaming to be a head coach who isn't a head coach because he's black, and and he has. Interviewed great, and people are saying, I'm not hiring him because he's black. I don't believe that's true. I think you got to make sure we're delivering enough candidates. How do we deliver the candidates? I don't think the people owners care anymore if they hire a black coach. I think they did. I don't think they care anymore. I, now, you want to tell me there's a guy who's a bigot? I'm sure there is. But my point is, I don't think there's a, a guy in the league. Like people are saying now, oh, Eric Bieniemy hasn't been hired the last two years. Everyone's bringing him up. One of the problems why Eric Bieniemy's one is his base is in the running game, number one, that hurts. Number two, he is behind an offensive guru. Everybody thinks it's Andy Reid who's the offensive genius. That's hurts him. There's no question. Eventually, right. he'll probably get a job. But The flip side of that argument is, Mike, that, okay, what about all the coaches that are coming out of the Belichick tree, right, that are being considered defensive geniuses when people know that Bill, or they, the assumption is that Bill was the person 
calling all the plays and calling all the defenses. But yet, and again, I'm playing devil's advocate. I, I understand. Now, listen, and, and you, you got you got. Andini got an opportunity. Matt Patricia got an opportunity. All no question. And I think they've now, hired too again, many. I think they've hired too many from, Pats. I'm sorry. I think they've hired too many Patriot coaches. I, 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 and it's I think it's been proven they've hired up too that many. Point. Yeah. I mean, you bring up the Eric Bieniemy point is you know, and but you talk to Andy Reid. Andy Reid is is you know all for Eric Bieniemy and believes right. Eric Bieniemy. And again, what happens, and I want to go back to this, I did not say, and I'm not saying that, that there are owners that are bigots. What I'm saying is, or what I did say, is that there are biases in this league. For whatever reason, there are biases. People want to hire people that they're most comfortable with, people that they, um, and, and again, social settings and the way people are, that feeling of comfort is because there is this innate discomfort between the races at certain points of time and people not understanding one another culture. Again, this is much more complicated than, than no this, question. this half-hour show can, can take up. But going back to this rule that, that they're, that's proposed, that they're going to vote on. You this, like it? No. But Anthony Lynn, I think, said it best the other day, you know, who, is, who is one of the, uh, you know, the, right. the black coaches in, in the National Football League. You know, he said sometimes, and a good coach. sometimes you can do the wrong thing while trying to do the right thing. Right. I think what's happened here is, the Rooney Rule had great intention. It had a great, um, the concept was great. It had um, good intentions. What happened, though, is people who didn't want to pay attention to the rule, just like every, every rule that's made in this country, regardless of the business and the industry, people are looking ways, for ways to fast-track what they want, their ideas, their agenda, and they skirt the rules. And that's what started happening to the Rooney Rule. And the league, rather than punishing people who were clearly circumventing the Rooney Rule, they didn't punish those people. Now we're flipping to the other side, which is to incentivize, which I don't agree with the incentivizing something like this either, because in certain ways, I think will it maybe help the problem that we have here? I think maybe a little tiny bit in some places, but then what it's also doing is it's punishing the stable franchises. A team, again, we go back to the Patriots, who have been stable for 20 years. They're going to get leapfrogged, leapfrogged because they have a good system, because they have a good program. Yeah, it's not fair. No, it's a, completely it, unfair. It's a wrong idea. It's a completely it, wrong idea. So, and again, whereas the league in, in the past, when they have found these clear violations, what they haven't done is gone out and punished people because, you know, it goes back to this whole idea of, ah, do we really want to punish someone? You know, do we want to, um, it, there's this new way of, new way, and I don't mean to sound like the get off my lawn old man here, but right. we've gotten away from when people do something wrong, we don't point it out as much, we, we don't want to embarrass people, um, and I'm not sure that that's the best, you know, that that, that was the best way to do it either. Um, there's a better idea. I just at least like the the fact. I you know I've sat in these meetings that ideas are coming up. We've got to find a better idea. Do I think this is the solution? Personally, I don't. Um, but there but there are other things that we have to do to to um, to incentivize, and it doesn't have to be moving up in the draft or something like that. All right, we're finishing up with Scott Bielan. Scott, the other thing this week was uh, in Green Bay. You have Aaron Rodgers talking about how. He, uh, how unhappy he was 
understands it but unhappy and that maybe he won't be able to finish his career as he planned. The question is from the other side. You have a very young regime there. You have a head coach who's just turned 40 who has a big first year. You think he's looking to move on and move to the future, or would he rather finish his la- – would he like to squeeze every ounce out of this quarterback, or would he rather move on to his new young quarterback? I, I think what he wants to do is make sure that he can win while he's transitioning to that new quarterback that he believes he, he likes in Jordan Love. Um, these are always complicated situations, right? And I, what I don't think he wants to do is take a step backwards. I think he would love to see – Aaron Rodgers and he coexist as they move towards the future, have the young player Jordan Love not, uh, you know, be forced into play too soon before it's time. But I think what, he, what he's done here is, is the head coach realizes more than likely his career is going to last longer than Aaron right. Rodgers is at, right. at the peak. And that's where he needs to be smart. And whether Jordan Love is the answer or not, I think he did the right thing conceptually because you know, even though quarterbacks are playing longer now because of the rule changes that we've put in where they get hit less and there's, they, they take less of a beating, their careers can last longer. But I really think he did the right thing here in transition. It's it just kind of, it, it's ironic, you know, Mike, that the whole situation where he came in, meaning Aaron Rodgers, and it was the end of Brett Favre's career and just how much, I don't know if it was, overt animosity, but there was a weirdness about the relationship and some of the thoughts that maybe Aaron Rodgers was having as a young player, he's now having to live the life of the of the prior Hall of Famer. And uh Absolutely. It, 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 and I don't know that he I don't know if he does it differently, but the other thing is does he treat them like Favre wouldn't wouldn't tutor Rodgers, will Rodgers tutor the next quarterback? Well, and this is the funny thing because you know that's part of what Rogers was upset about and took offense to and didn't appreciate him. Right, and now, so maybe he'll do it with the same yeah. situation. You know, maybe he'll do it. Right, and this is a this is a chance for Aaron Rodgers to step up and live what he should. That he, you know, he was. I don't know if he openly criticized Brett, but he made it clear that Brett didn't do him any favors. Now this is his opportunity to help that player grow. You know, it's. It's it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see if he does it and to see if he becomes more selfless than what Brett Favre was. You know, it was interesting because again at the Patriots, watching that transition, even though Drew Bledsoe was very upset and very um, bothered by the changing of the guard that was happening after he came back from his injury, he actually did the right thing as a human being, and that's a very difficult balance to to be. Be human and be a competitor. He turned out to be a very good guy, Drew Bledsoe, didn't he? He turned out to be a very good guy. He did, and I think you know sometimes those those crises, you know, show some at sometimes the worst in a person, and then sometimes the best in a person. But Drew eventually, you know, he ended up transitioning, and he and Tom became friends, and and they worked through it, and that didn't you know, I mean, the Drew wasn't disappointed and at times pissed off, but any good competitor would have been and, and should have been. All right. Listen, thanks very much. Uh, we'll talk next week. Appreciate it very much, Scott. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mike. Look forward thank to you. it. Thank you. in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. clock at four. Donchich. 
The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.